Welcome to a throwback edition of the Social Flight Live podcast, where we feature a special past episode that stood out from all the rest. Join our live broadcast every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Social Flight Live. This is our EAA Spirit of Aviation Week special brought to you by Avidyne. We have a great guest right here with us today, and that is 310 Pilot. If you've watched any of this on YouTube, unless you're hiding under a rock, you, uh, you should know who Kevin Thornton is, as well as his wife, Jamie, and their family as they fly all around the country. And um, I'm going to bring him on right now to join us, and we'll learn all about his travels. Hi, how are you doing, Kevin? Hi, Jeff. Good. So, uh, listen, you've got such great things and such a passionate follower following uh, going on on YouTube. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into aviation. What, what drew you to this world? Shoot. Um, I guess, really, it starts... So, I was a, I'm a third-generation pilot. My grandfather... Uh, was in the infantry in World War II, did his time in Europe, came back after the war ended, and then became a civilian pilot. And later on, he was flying my dad around. My dad uh, got into aviation, was in the Army, and was a helicopter pilot. But before he joined the Army, he had a Skyhawk and flew civilly, and then he became an Army pilot. And... Two of my uncles were both pilots. One flew F-15s, the first Gulf War, and the other one was an Army fixed-wing pilot who ended up being the chief pilot for Coca-Cola for a while. So I had a lot of aviation in the family, which is the case a lot of times with pilots. And then I went to the school at the University of Georgia, started taking my first flight lesson my freshman year of college, and was just hooked. I was uh, so enthralled by all things aviation. So I ended up uh, after that first year at the University of Georgia, my dad had a Skyhawk at the time. He was working for Delta, so he had his plane in Peachtree City, just on the south side of Atlanta. After I uh, soloed in the Skyhawk, he then allowed me to use his plane to finish up my rating, pay for gas, instructor. So I moved back. I transferred to West Georgia, moved back down south of Atlanta with them, used his plane to finish up. And then by 19 years old, I was getting paid to fly. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I was a flight instructor, MEI, did that in Peachtree City, Georgia for a while at Falcon uh, Peachtree Flight Center mm. and was working towards the airline. Back then, you needed the Magic 1202. This was pre-9-11 and uh, got on flying aerial mapping for a company that did mapping with a Turbo Lance and a Cessna 401, which is how I fell in love with twin Cessnas and the tip tanks. <laughs> and, uh, then 9-11 happens. Uh, had all my times, had an interview scheduled with a Delta Connection commuter, and then 9-11 happened. Kind of was a dark, dark time for airline drivers there for a while. I'd always been kind of intrigued by air traffic control. And there were – the other thing about Peachtree City is Atlanta Tracon is in that town. So there were a couple of controllers at Atlanta Approach Control that had planes that I had talked to. So – I ended up joining the Air Force and became an air traffic controller in the Air Force. 
I was stationed in Eglin, Florida, and they had an aero club there. So I was able to continue flight instructing while I was doing air traffic control. And that kind of how I got into flying and, and air traffic. That's fascinating. You know, I, I have to say, Georgia has some of the most vibrant general aviation in the country. Um, it, it's, it's really amazing, especially in that area that you're talking about, a Peachtree City and around there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing. It, it's uh, really fascinating. A, a very a close friend of mine and someone at Social Flight, Paul Morell, uh, actually lives on an air park right down there at Mallard's Landing. And yep. um, I've flown in there before. Isn't that gorgeous? It's just it's yeah. it's just such a so, so wonderful to see a, a state take and, and embrace general aviation to that degree. And so that's where you kind of got got that start, um, both both from the the flying aspect of it being all around and. And then uh, air traffic control. What, tell me, w- with such a background on manipulating controls and being in the air, what was it like transitioning and learning about actually doing flight control? Uh, it, you know, honestly, I think it's easier when uh, being an air traffic controller or a pilot. I think having the other side in either direction would help you as a controller or as a pilot. Um, I just remember being an instrument rated pilot before I wanted to do air traffic, I had a couple of, you know, aircraft issues, some emergencies, and it always like that, that approach controller who vectored you to the nearest airport. And I didn't have the approach plate with me because they were in the back back when you had to have paper and you right. couldn't carry them all. So and he just read me all this stuff and got me down. You know, I was like, man, that is really amazing. And it's kind of, that, that really started my intrigue with air traffic. But um, we, yeah, you're, you're so far ahead of the game knowing what a pilot, how you talk, you know, we have our own particular version of the English language that we use. So you're, you're ahead of the game there. You understand aircraft characteristics, you understand instrument approaches. And so it definitely puts you very far ahead of the power curve by already being a pilot. And, um, you know, it just, it, you, you understand characteristics and everything a lot better. You know, it's, it's, it's always fascinating to me as a pilot, we understand, I mean, air traffic controllers are human beings and that, that are on the other side of the radio and they all have different personalities, different capabilities, different tendencies, being able to, you know, handle more and allow more versus being a little more restrictive. And, um, it always makes me wonder sometimes, you know, am I talking to someone that's also a pilot? especially when they really get it and they're really helpful along the way. It makes me wonder if that, if, if there's someone that really has that background. And there are, there are quite a few pilots in, in the air traffic control world and even ones that aren't still current or active. A lot of them have had pilot's licenses at some point. And if you don't do the military route, the other path, which is what Jamie did was uh, what's called a CTI school. And I don't remember what that stands for but at any rate there's uh maybe 15 schools around the country that you could go to learn air traffic control and a lot of those schools not all of them either offer or require a pilot's license in conjunction with that so you know it never hurts it you could be talking to an amazing controller and they just took the time to understand and they've been on some fan flights or they've been in aviation and maybe they're not a pilot but they they can at least understand what you're going through and know how to help you and, uh, you know, or sometimes you're just talking to a pilot who maybe has been there before. Now, so I understand Jamie's also a, uh, an air traffic controller and both of you met working what is probably the most busy airspace. Hey, how are you, Jamie? <laughs> she made it on. Thank, thank you for the cameo. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
So I have to say something as we as we uh, are you know transition into the air traffic control talk. Um, as a as an experienced pilot, watching your videos, obviously the radio uh, management and the communication uh, aptitude that you've got on the radios is absolutely spectacular. So oh. um, nice job. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think that like um, prior to nine eleven, it was quite common for controllers to ride jump seat and like ride in the cockpit and, and do all that. And then after that, they kind of put the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but it's still, I mean, it still can be a part of a controller's training to, to do a, a fan flight and ride in the cockpit. And I think it would be super beneficial. They just, it's not really practical for us to do it anymore because it takes a lot. There's like a lot of paperwork involved and time off and stuff like that. But I personally think that it should be a requirement. Yeah. You know, it's, it is, like I've said that there's, it, it's so helpful. You find that there's times where they feel, you feel as a, as a pilot, especially single pilot, hard IFR situations like that. I mean, there's been times like, like I said earlier, we all understand air traffic controllers are human beings. And there are times when they are absolutely save your butt and know exactly how to help you out and how to take workload off. And there's other times where sometimes it, it seems like they don't quite understand what you're what you're dealing with airborne, and and uh, I've always wondered sometimes it means that uh, maybe they're maybe they're a pilot, you know, that's on the ground, the ones that really uh, really are there for you. It's funny because I, I feel like there are some controllers who have absolutely like no idea what pilots do, and there are some pilots who have absolutely no idea what controllers do, and it's funny because we're so intertwined in this industry, but some of us are so clueless about the other side of it. Yeah, it, it's too bad about it. We keep going back to uh, 9-11 as the turning point for that. And I do remember prior to 9-11, it was so common to go up in a tower, to go to an ATC facility. Uh, uh, actually, like I remember going to Boston Center and spending time with them while they were working flights, going into towers and, and going to flight service uh, when that was still public. <laughs> not now. Like, it's not common now. Like, we'll tell pilots, like, you guys, you know, you can come for a tour, right? And they're like, what? I can come for a tour. It's like, of course you can, but people just don't, I don't know. They don't, we don't know. We don't think about it, I guess. Yeah. They shut it down for a while after nine 11 and obviously it's shut down for COVID now, but eventually all you need is a pilot's license and you should be able to get back into centers, tracons and towers again. Well, if that's something that you can do, then that's going to be the next thing that, that I probably do. And I'll probably do it. Uh, We have a new uh, pilot in our social flight family just as of last week. Um, my son Jake just got his certificate. We've got another one, Ben, in training. So I, I want to get them into a, into a, a center or a tower and uh, get them to see what the other side is. So they have some very good understanding of what all of you have to deal with. Yeah, that'd be great. So tell me, what was it like for both of you working at Chicago O'Hare? Well, for me, I grew up in Georgia and uh, the biggest it's more of a culture weather shock for me. Um, I, at the time when I got hired in the FAA, I, you had like a dream list of places you wanted to go. So when I got out of the military, I put all these Southeast places and Chicago O'Hare was the busiest airport in the world at the time. So I filled up my four with places I wanted to live in the Southeast. And then the fifth was, well, it's a challenge. Let's see if we can go up to O'Hare. So they selected me for O'Hare and that's the first one on your list. But uh, it's been 15 years, five years at the tower, 10 years at the Tricon for me. Um, at the tower, uh, the, my my high point was getting to work Oshkosh for three years because you have to be a tower controller to work the, the air show. So I got to do that. And then 
got to come to the Tracon, and I'd always kind of wanted to do approach control ever since I was an I, a new IFR pilot. So it's it's a, definitely a shock. You get used to it over time, and it's probably not good for your health, but you just get used to all the airplanes and all the weather and the stress, and eventually you just don't really feel like it's that stressful. But then when people talk or they come and watch what you do, they're like, oh, my God, that's but you just kind of get acclimated to it. It's just a lot of airplanes but with O'Hare and Midway in such close proximity and they're two core 30 airports and they're seven, whatever they are, maybe 10 miles apart, O'Hare and Midway. So it's a, it's a lot of planes coming and going every hour. Wow. And, and of course the creme de la creme job, uh, that which occurs once a year with the exception of 2020, uh, is uh, working air venture. And, and so what, what was that like? Um, it, it was a blast and it takes all your experience as air traffic and you kind of throw most of that out the window. It's just such a different way of doing air traffic from the, when you're on the hill and you're doing the FISC approach coming up, you have binoculars on a hill and that's kind of like the approach control where you're sequencing to the different runways. Either you go right and follow the east-west road or you follow the tracks up, stay inside the gravel pit. You're just trying to balance the airport. You have a hotline into the tower, so if there's an incident on a runway and a runway closes, well, now, you know, your options are different. Or during the mass fly-ins, you know, if the bonanzas come in, I don't know if you've done that or not, but you guys shut down 3-6 left and 3-6 right. When you guys come in, you guys land three abreast. So everything has to funnel to the north side of the airport. It's just an interesting way of doing approach control, the binoculars on a hill. In the tower, as you're sequencing guys to land, you may look at the downwind, and you pick the binoculars up, and you might see like 12 planes in the binoculars, and you're trying to sort all that out, and you have people trying to help spot for you. you got to prioritize. There's three things being said at once. You're saying while you're making the next game plan, if that any of that makes sense. And I, I still don't know how they do it. Like, I don't, you're just flying in there, and they're like, the the white high wing, go base. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's like seven of those. <laughs> right. I mean, at least like, at least well, with the twin, like we're lucky because they'll be like, uh, the twin rock I'm like, oh, that's, that's, I know that. That's, yeah. And it happens where you tell, say turn base, you say turn right, follow East West Road, and you see three white high wings all down the tracks so all yeah. turn right. And you're like, they'll <laughs> figure it out when they get there, you know, <laughs> they just keep going because you can't ever <laughs> stop. I have to tell you about that. The, the part that amazes me the most about what the air, air traffic controllers are able to do at, uh, at AirVenture are handling all of those mistakes, all of those things. I, we, we laugh about it because we record our flights when we go in there, and some of them are, are almost comical. I mean, it's like, I remember it was probably the, the last one, the one before, where it was like, you know, Red uh, tail dragger, uh, you're my guy, you're my guy, you know, you turn and everybody's going to follow you. And he tells them to turn, nothing happens. Tells them to turn, nothing happens. Next thing you go, you see like, blue low wing, you're my guy now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you it's wonder a- what happens. Like that, he's like, I think that guy's going to Green Bay. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Normally, in all other forms of air traffic, there's, well, usually there's readbacks. But in, in AirVenture, they're just talking. There's no readback. So he just keeps, like, a conversation going with himself. He's like, all right, here's, here's what we're going to do. That looks good. Yeah, let's, let's try this. It's like a, it sounds like an auctioneer, you know. So it's really cool for me, AirTrack. It would be beneficial if people that haven't been there before got a little deeper into the notums, maybe, from time to yes. time. <laughs> and, uh, you, you see, and normally, because the controllers – can't and shouldn't you know really get in that but a lot of times you'll hear the other pilots the pilots are getting frustrated you know because people aren't doing the right speeds at the right altitudes and they're 
Did you read the note? You know, the pilots are yelling at each other sometimes, but... The VFR tower pilots, those are, I mean, VFR tower controllers, those are the ones who are, like, perfect for that job. Yeah, that, it, you're right, it is, it, it can be very difficult. When it works, it works, and it does work for everyone, and it's amazing how well it does. Um, I, 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 I have seen times where everybody, except for maybe one guy was going the right direction around a hold around the lake and one guy's going the opposite direction. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, but you guys do a great job. And it's amazing that you were able to, uh, uh, uh impressive that you were able to get that role and, um, and do it. It must be a, a real camaraderie to be working with that, uh, with that crew. Yeah, it's a pretty tight niche for that, at least for that seven to ten days. And then everybody goes back to the real world and all their facilities, and you see each other again the following year. When you get but back, is there any, is there any adjustment? A certain mixture of rookie controllers, a certain mixture of what they call limited, which means you've been there between one and three years before, and then veterans, because it's just so complex. you you got to have an influx of new people. you got to weed out the people that you brought in that shouldn't be there next year. <laughs> so they can learn from others and so you can keep that pipeline going. So that's kind of how that system works. Got it. That's, that's fascinating. So, so you've got the, the two of you having met out there uh, at, at O'Hare already an aviation family at that point. And obviously, as you mentioned, a background of, of loving Cessna twins. So what, uh, what brought you together with the plane that you've got? Well, we started flying and we were um, flying, we were renting, a Skyhawk, and then eventually a Saratoga. And it was a beautiful newer Saratoga. It's a post-2000, um, you know, AC, all the bells and whistles. Well, two, I think two big keys to getting the Skyhawk. One, I made Jamie, or I mean to get the 310, but one, I made Jamie fly down to Georgia and back in the same day in a Cessna Skyhawk for a family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a long day. So that let her realize that we needed something closer to 170 knots. And I kind of knew that already. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that helped solidify that. And um, we were renting a Saratoga. It was a beautiful plane. By the time we put all the kids in it and we do the weight and balance, uh, it's not a six person airplane, not even close. And, um, and especially this particular one with the air conditioning and all the different options that it had, it was just a very heavy airplane. So we basically could go within a, you know, 200 mile radius with IFR reserves on gas. So we just started talking and we talked about Moonies, but then we, we decided we, we really wanted that extra engine. And then, um, we talked about bearings, but you just like within the 310, it's so roomy. You could put so much stuff in there and like, yeah. it feels like, I don't know. I think it's the roomiest. Like yeah. one that we could get, so we ended it's up definitely noticeably wider, and we're always crawling around, or yeah. she's crawling around. And yeah. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of you got a lot of kids yeah. to take care of there. <laughs> put a lot of crap in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've tested it out. Yeah. It's a, it's a good. It's a nice. So it, on the end. it carries the right amount, 163 gallons of gas. We can go nonstop almost anywhere east of the Rockies. Wow. Um, fast enough, 175 to 182 knots. So. Um, you know, we can beat the airliners time-wise most of the time, doorstep to doorstep. So I just, we look, we decided on the twin for overwater, night, IMC, all these different things that we kind of were looking for and being able to carry all the kids, you know, during those kind of trips. And then once we narrowed it down to the 310, I knew the systems inside and out from flying a 401 in my before life. I always thought those tip tanks were super sexy and 
you know, we started looking and lucked out. We found one close by here in Lansing, Illinois, which is not very far. Mm-hmm. And it had the DI boots. Yeah. It had that radar, which I thought was a big but Honestly, I, w- I wish we had the long. I think the long nose is sexier than <laughs> Yeah, Whatever. so we we got a hanger, and the long nose has problems. That's right, the it probably wouldn't fit. It wouldn't fit. fit. Yeah, so we were looking. About that. We looked for a Q model. Normally, <laughs> you know, at some to. point, the aesthetics, the aesthetics, and 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 maybe a saw would get you a little bit of a, yeah. a an extra doggy door there, and then you'd be able to have that. Yeah. Have like a little cutout in the door of the hanger <laughs> <laughs> around the nose. Hey, I think Delta does it. I've I've, yeah. I've seen people do things like that in major hangers. You could pull it off. Yeah, there you go. I've seen well, it's, that. A beautiful, it's a beautiful, iconic aircraft, and they're so fast. Yeah, it does. It does pretty well. You can run them up to 190. I don't usually do that. Uh, you know, I got to pay for the engines, and so I I leave it set about 175 to 182. Mm-hmm. It's burning about 25, 26 gallons per hour, and it it gets us everywhere we, we need to go. We can make it to like South Florida. Yeah, in wow. one, on one tank, so. So it does, it does everything we wanted. It had the ice, which is a nice escape thing living in the Midwest. Uh, it's oh, got yeah. the boots, the hot props, the alcohol windshield. It's not fikey, but it's good enough for us. I don't Have you had to use the, the boots? Not, not the boots. I've used the alcohol windshield a couple of times through some tops just to clear it off. But I haven't actually had to pop the boots. I try to avoid it at all. Yeah, we try to stay out of that <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we always try to avoid ice, but it's pretty good when you've got it on board and you know that you can yeah. you can use it when you need to. Yeah, I test it out every couple of months. It all works well. So absolutely. How's it been? Has it been okay maintenance wise for you? Um, for the most part, yes. Uh, early on, we the plane wasn't flown enough uh, in the last couple of years before we acquired it. So we got a good pre-purchase inspection done by a shop. The guy that did it at that shop owned a three ten before, so that that you know, felt nice. And the plane came back corrosion free. It had relatively low times on the engines, probably between be 350, 400 hours or so. And they were overhauled at a reputable shop, but it just hadn't flown much in the last several years. So I made an offer keeping that in mind and uh, closed on it, flew it around for a few months. Everything was going pretty good. I had the red dye, they have the threaded prop hubs. So the red dye came out when they uh, had been several years, even though the hours were still low. So I had to get the props both overhauled. I've uh, some other thing, you know, I've changed all the struts, changed the tires and brakes. Um, left fuel divider got overhauled. I think the right engine exhaust stacks got overhauled and uh, changed out an alternator and some vacuum pumps. I had the, the dual vacuum pump failure, which we made a video. We were going down to Key West and lost both yeah. vacuum pumps, which I didn't even think was possible. So, um, yeah, we, so for the most part, it's all been fairly minor. And then with the exception of the avionics overhaul and the paint, it's probably been the two biggest things. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, you, you've got some pretty impressive avionics on there. Uh, the, the aircraft's got, got a, a you know, impressive things, obviously. Uh, one of the reasons that you're here, you're partnered with uh, Avidon. You've got a full Avidon stack and uh, the IFDs, et cetera. One of the things that I noted about your uh, your equipment that's uh, really impressive is that you've also got the Skytrax system for TAS, for uh, active traffic, in addition to just ADSB traffic. Um, uh, so what went into all, all those decisions? So we went down to, um, trying to think, I, I ended up getting the autopilot first 
uh, and then we ended up going to Sun and Fun, and we decided, okay, we've replaced the old factory autopilot with the new S-Tech autopilot. You know, it talks to the Garmin, Avidyne, you know, it's starting to look, but I had the GNS 530s, and they're just, I got tired of, you know, the knobs. I'm worried about the longevity of those particular, and some of that stuff is just not very intuitive. So I said, all right, let's go to Sun and Fun. Let's take advantage. Let's look at everything that all the um, the top avionics suppliers have. And we went to everybody, we toyed, we touched, we played, we you know got the, uh, downloaded some of the stuff and played with them on the iPad. But the Avidyne, when we were just blown away, um, the IFD to me is so intuitive that uh, just the, the logic that it puts into it, how you select things, how it builds your flight plan and shows you everything. It has your altitude step downs on the approaches, all displayed there, uh, being able to use knobs and push buttons and everything. It was just absolutely blown away with that. So, which I know we're getting to the Skytrax, but with, with that, once I started looking and thinking about the panel layout, you know, at the time I had a uh, ADSB in and out transponder that provided regular traffic. Well, when we were away from metropolitan areas or at times, you know, we just did not, we'd see a plane go by that never was displayed. Right. So I decided that in conjunction with the dual IFDs um, to remote the transponder to get the ADSB out there and then trying to figure out the option. Well, what do we want to do for ADSB in and, and traffic? And as soon as they, when I was going through the different options with uh, uh, Dale at the Avidyne tent there in Sun and Fun, as soon as we were going through it, he started talking about the Skytrack 605 Alpha, and I started reading about it, and I was just blown away. I'm like, man, this is like airliner TCAS at right. such an affordable price point, and it's going to ping out and find all the planes, you know, for me that maybe necessarily don't have ADSB. Um, so we just read about it. And then when we came back from sun and fun, we put a package together and uh, we sent it up to our avionics shop, which happened to already be uh, a big Midwest dealer for uh, Avidyne. And we put it all together. We got it installed and it has been as advertised. The times, I mean, you can tell who has ADSB or not, whether or not you're getting the call sign of the different symbols and the amount of planes that are out there that don't have ADSB, you would, we all think, and maybe most of us talk and, you know, all oh, the mandate came out, people, there's a lot of people that just will not fly near the busy class Bs and they're just not going to equip with it. And I can still ping them out and see them now, which has just been a huge safety relief. I, I love it. Yeah. It, it, I'll tell you from experience, I've got active traffic as well. It is, it is amazing how many aircraft ping. And for uh, anyone watching, you know, the differences, you can see ADSB symbols for those aircraft that are equipped. And you see the traditional diamond shaped symbols indicating traffic of non compliant aircraft. And uh, you, you do want to spot those. I think one of the double edged swords about all this is that once you get ADSB and you have this traffic in front of you, there's a tendency to believe that it's you're seeing it all. And it, 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 oh, yeah. it runs the risk that having that traffic in front of you, that you do a little less looking outside of for traffic. And, um, and so I do think having the active makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I do think that people, 
uh, as they get into congested airspace or just as they get more reliant on their ADSB traffic and weather, that they um, it, it gives you a false sense of security. And there are still a ton of planes. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's still a ton of planes out there flying that are not ADSB equipped. Wow. So it's nice to act- actively ping them. And, and yeah. So let's been, talk about your, your flying a little bit, because obviously the adventures that you fly as a family are what really led to, to 310 Pilot. And so um, tell me a little bit about how, how did that evolve? I mean, uh, there's so, you have so many passionate followers, rightly so. Yeah, and it was all just uh, by mistake. We never sat out and decided we're going to buy an airplane, we're going to grab a GoPro, and then we're going to make a bunch of YouTube videos and get 20 million plus views. Like that was never even a thought. Um, bought the 310, started working on the upgrade. We decided early on this is going to be our forever bird. We're going to put all the bells and whistles in it that we want to make us happy. And then we're going to fly it until I lose my medical. Jamie gave me a gift card one day for rosin sun visors. Our old sun visors, every time I took off and landed, they'd fall down a lot. <laughs> gave me a gift card and I was looking for the STC for my my particular model of 310 and I didn't see it initially which I do have them now and they work great I just didn't I didn't see them initially so I just used that gift card and I bought a GoPro and then I was sitting in the hangar one day and I looked up kind of in between and I just stuck the camera I was like oh that looks pretty good I didn't level anything or measure I just stuck it up there <laughs> and it's the same camera that we have today um, well, at least the same sticky. I've upgraded camera a bit, but it's the same mount. And I, we took uh, we took off, and it was just a terrible flight. And I was so bad at editing. I, I wasn't a big social media person, so I didn't have Facebook or any other stuff. And I was terrible at editing. I used iMovies, you know, free software. And I made a, like a 50-minute video of us trying to go downtown Chicago and grab dinner and come home and none of it happened the snowstorms came in and so we peeled out of there and we were going to go to schaumburg and land and i ended up getting a pop-up ifr and landed back at the airport so it was a flight to nowhere (laughs) and we published it and you know jamie was talking on the radio and i think like for whatever reason just got a bunch of views and people liked it and so as time went on we were just like man this is kind of neat we're showing off general aviation um I know that's a, a hot topic about whether or not GA is, is dying or not, or, or declining, I guess would be a better word or not. You know, either way, promoting general aviation was a, was a great thing. Um, just showing off our passion and our travels, it, it just became fun. It was well-received. People seemed to like it. So we just kept going and I got better at editing, got much shorter and concise. So I didn't have 55 minutes of flying nowhere. And uh, we started showing off some of the neat destinations that other GA pilots can go to. And it seemed to resonate well with people. Um, I'm able to use Jamie, you know, to relieve the workload because she's a controller and she, she gets the whole system, even though she has no desire to be a pilot. Um, so it just, it just seemed to work well with people. A lot of positive comments. I love when people are constantly re- uh, reaching out to us to tell us, Hey, I started I didn't really have any interest in aviation. I started following you and then I realized, well, I could do this too. And then they come back and they tell me when they solo or when they get their private or people that want to buy airplanes and, you know, I help talk to them or whatever. It's just been so just in a selfish way, kind of rewarding to see other people come back and, and um, just get involved in aviation in some way. So it's been great. 
that's kind of that's kind of how three ten pilot started. It's just all all for fun, and here we are, we're just making videos, try to put them out once a week, and show our travels. Well, that's the best way to do it, right? I mean, uh, you know, manufacturing something to try to accomplish uh, the goal of what you've done isn't doesn't isn't necessarily as sincere. And the reality is that look, think about that that first flight uh, uh, that you've just talked about. It's exactly what people want to to learn from and see. Of it's 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 not the flight that goes exactly as planned. <laughs> it's the flight that doesn't. And how do you cope with that? And what's involved? So hats off to you for doing that. Sure. Thank you. So, what is your, your what's your favorite destination that you've that you've done that's uh, that, and that you've documented? Um, I'm gonna I have to say the Bahamas. It was it was just so amazing. This was before my autopilot too. So this was all hand flown from Chicago area all down to the Bahamas, island hopping. I hadn't flown out of the country in a long time, so I had to learn the EAPIS process and some of the different ins and outs of the country. And I got the AOPA Bahamas book or whatever they make, you know, that you look and I just started reading and I learned as much as I could, watched a few YouTube videos and we just sought out and um, just how, I don't know, how pro general aviation the Bahamas are and how reliant they are on, uh, you know, U.S. tourism. It's just, it was so easy. It was so simple and it was very beautiful. It's when I come into the east side of Andros Island and for those of you that don't know Andros, because it's not, nobody usually goes there. It's the largest island in the Bahamas land-wise, and it's the most unpopulated. But if you Google Earth, map it, and you look at it, it's just amazing colors. And when we flew into that, it was like flying into a painting. It was unbelievable. Wow. And we got to stay at some really cool spots. You know, we each island is has a different um, flavor to it. So we were just hopping around these small islands, uh, Spanish Wells, North Eleuthera, Congo Town, and uh, Treasure Key was the last place, which unfortunately I think Treasure got leveled during the last uh, hurricane. But I want to go to every, I would love to go to every Bahamas island that we can land on. That's like a goal of mine. There's a lot of them, but uh, the Caribbean for me was the most fun. Um, yeah, Spanish Wells was like a little fishing village, and then Andros was just, it was the jungle. <laughs> and then uh the treasure key was a little bit more like populated little like party area yeah is that your favorite flight that we've taken favorite trip um jeez <laughs> i think so i mean the little the west coast swing that we did was like similar to that and that was fun too we just never like i always feel like i would you know want more time we lost yeah. a day when we went to uh went to the bahamas because we couldn't leave out of port pierce that one night but yeah yeah, no, we've taken a lot of fun trips. We've, I love the 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 lake in Virginia that we did, which hasn't come out yet. We got we got a few flights to come out. Yeah, I, I can only edit so fast. <laughs> but we just did Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. We stayed at a bed and breakfast in Western Virginia. It was it was a really fun place. Yeah, that was. Cool. Got to meet a real live astronaut. Yes. <laughs> just came back from wow. the space station. Just aviation is such a small community. We're at a bed and breakfast in Virginia. And uh, this guy named Reed Wiseman, who you can look him up, he's, a, he's an astronaut, just came back from the International Space Station. We're sitting there having a drink, playing dominoes with an astronaut, you know, <laughs> aviation is a cool community. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that's so wonderful, I think, about general aviation is that it, it doesn't matter, like, whether someone like yourself that's known by millions of people or someone, or someone else that uh, just, uh, you know, just got their license. 
there there's doesn't seem to be much much ego involved and much stigma. Everyone has this in common, and we all want to share it. Absolutely, yeah. It it's been great. We've we've made so many connections with people that are just you know a great down to earth. Everybody wants to help each other. If if I ever needed to go drop a plane off my plane off to go get something done. I know people I can call and the same people will call me if they ever need something to go. And, you know, it's all, it's pretty selfless, you know, people in general aviation are going to, going to help each other out quite a bit. I didn't know when we got into this, that the GA was kind of like a, like on the downhill slope. Like I, uh, but we've heard so from so many people, like I, you inspired me to get my license or I want to do this. And like people um, in Europe are like that this stuff is not happening over here. Like it's that over here. And so it's, it's awesome to see that they kind of like try to keep it alive because I think a lot of people now are like they're, they can get sort of the same joy on their virtual video games and stuff. And it's like, no, we got to keep this going. Like, I don't want any of these little airports to close down. Like, I don't want like, people to, sh- to put it out there and show, like, how cool it can be. I think it's just something people didn't really realize. Oh, I totally agree. And, you know, we've certainly worked so hard during this time, during the pandemic, to try to get people uh, within safe guidelines to continue flying, continue uh, supporting yeah. airport restaurants and local FBOs and pilot shops because, it, it, we, it's such a fragile community and, um, you know, a lot of uh, companies are here because they're passionate about it, not because they couldn't take their technology to some other market uh, and, and make a lot more money. Um, they're here because they love flying. Yeah, he's told me there's, you know, airports that we've been to. He's like, yeah, I flew in here when I was 19 and it was just hopping. There were just airplanes everywhere, everybody doing all this stuff. And now it's like a ghost town. I'm like, that's mm. so sad to me. I'm not even a pilot. That just makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely not, but I have seen you take the controls. So no, no interest in uh, getting any further along with that? No, no. I just, I really feel like it, in order to, to do that, you got to really have like the bug. You got to have the bug. You got to have the passion. It takes a lot of time and money. And people say like, oh, well, you got the plan and you got that. He's an instructor. So, but I, I, A, I don't think that you should learn to fly in a 310. And I also don't think you're best <laughs> <to keep it. laughs> so, There's a rite of passage no, you can no, learn no, to fly no, in a 310. I'm going to say that right now, Jamie. To, to, to have your first certificate and your check ride be multi-engine, you know, high performance, complex. Yeah. Good for you if you pull that one off. He, I mean, th- he comes in high and fast. You want, you'll see what I'm <laughs> <laughs> No, I just don't. I, I would rather just like help navigate and talk on the radio and climb in the back and take a nap or make a cocktail or whatever. Like I, I just like want to go on vacation. <laughs> I like that. And how's it been, you know, obviously you've, you've got four kids. What's it like raising your family in, in, in the aircraft basically as while taking all these trips? They all seem to love it. Like they, I mean, my, you know, Carson, he's, he's trying, he's working on his pilot's license. Obviously the two, the two younger ones think it's so cool. They're like, you know, like always like looking out the window, they've gotten a little bit used to it now. So they seem like, whatever. Janae Loki Janae loves it. Like she, but she's just, she's doesn't want to be on YouTube. So she's not in a lot of videos and stuff, but they, they dig it. They, yeah. Whenever we tell them like they were planning a trip and we're going to go do this and you're all hopping in the airplane. They're like, cool. <laughs> Let's, exactly. go. Let's go. 
I remember once with both both uh, Jake and Ben also grew up doing doing it from three months old, uh, flying in the plane. And I remember there was a time for some reason, one or another, we had to drive somewhere that was going to be three, four, five hours. And they looked at me with this look on their face, and they literally asked, in all honesty, like, "Can a car do that?" Like, <laughs> that's I was like, funny. Yeah, so a car can go that far. <laughs> So kudos to you for being able to do that and raise your kids in a way that they think that that's just, that's just the way the world works. Cause they'll be the ones that spread it from here on. Yeah. yeah. I have a six hour max like road trip uh, threshold. So this is good. <laughs> this is good for us. I have a three hour max. Yeah. Shut up. If it's more than three hours, I'm flying. <laughs> I like that. Excellent. And there's, and you don't have to worry about traffic in quite the same way at least. Oh, it's yeah. therapeutic. You get up there and you don't have to deal with TSA or parking at a major airport. You can just go and be yeah. free. It's one of the last like true free things that you really have. You can just take off and go anywhere. They really have taken much. all the fun out of commercial air travel. You go to the airport, like, you know, you go to a hair and everybody is just on like level nine of their stress level. It's like, oh God, <laughs> that's, that's not fun anymore. I know it used to be fun. People used to like it. It's just not. Like I think that was before all of us were born. I think that's <laughs> what I'm referring to. I've seen it in a movie. I've never actually experienced it. I remember being able to just walk to the gate. Like I didn't have a ticket or to, I was just going to pick up somebody and you could just walk through and you go to the gate and it was all fine. But she was from Alaska. I am, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm just, I'm just like, I, you know, I remember doing that as like an 18 year old. And I'm, I mean, that was 20 years ago. So. Things were different. It was all nine eleven was the it was the turning point. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of challenging times, so how how has your family and your flying uh, been coping with uh, the uh, the crisis, the pandemic? So the early part of it was mitigated by the fact that our plane was in Florida getting painted. So that did delay the airplane getting painted. It was down in Separate Hills at Hawk. And they ran into some delays, uh, the silver, I think it was one of the colors, I think it was the silver, anyway, they ran into some delays from the supplier, supplier shut down, they didn't have everything they needed to get it done, so it, it did delay some things. Well, they did your annual and everything. Yeah, they knocked the annual out yeah. while they had it, so, I mean, we made best use of it, so then I didn't have to, otherwise I was going to have to fly it back and have somebody take apart, like, a freshly painted airplane, which would have been just terrifying but yeah, but it got to a point where like red like people like viewers of the channel would just like show up at that airport like at that dude shop and be like where's one Bravo that's the best advocate so you can have all you have to do is make a video and go so if anyone wants to stop by and help get our plane out of the shop feel free yeah. he was like man this is getting kind of crazy around here <laughs> like, well get it back you know? yeah but uh, so then I ended up, so I, we didn't start flying until, was that April? Well, people were like, because we had this extra time off because we had reduced staffing at work because of COVID-19. So like, oh, you got your plane back. So that means, and you have all this time off, you can do all this stuff. And it was like, yeah, except there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. <laughs> Where are we going to stay? <laughs> everything was closed. Yeah, there was no, yeah. Uh, so it was, it was weird for so, a little bit. Yeah, we got it back from Florida and then... We did just some local flying around. Uh, I used that time to do a little aerial photo shoot over downtown Chicago. And then, so finally we started getting some offers. So some lake houses, private homes and lake houses, stuff like that. So that's kind of what we used to travel. 
uh, as things started opening back up. But you're constantly checking state by state because all these states are different. And some states, depending on what state you came from, has different rules for you. So it's been a challenge to try to get our wings back. But we've, we were able to finally manage it. And we've uh, since COVID has started, and keeping in mind the first half the airplane was down, we've flown to Georgia twice, Virginia. We went up to Mackinac Island and stayed, which is a great, oh, beautiful aviation spot. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin to a lake. lake house there. And then out to the, the farm, farm a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we've definitely canceled a couple of trips too that we wanted to do. So it's you know it's just the challenge of figuring out where where we can go. Hopeful that things are trending up and they do not reverse course. Yeah. With restrictions. So, so what's next for, for you guys? Obviously, uh, you've got a lot of folks out there. Anyone interested? 310 Pilot on YouTube. What, uh, what, what, what's kind of in the film can or what's coming up uh, next? What are you looking forward to? Um, as far as the airplane's concerned, I would like to get rid of my old engine instrument gauges because that's one part of it is this whole modernization of this 1973 twin that we've been doing. And that's kind of the last big hurdle for us. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what, what comes out that can kind of replace that and maybe uh, combine up some of my gauges, get the oil and fuel out of the airplane. But other than that, it's really the only upgrade I have left for that. As far as traveling, high on our list is a West Coast swing. I have never – I've been flying for 20 years. I've never flown west of the Rockies. So – We'd like to do the Grand Canyon, maybe hit Vegas, Grand Canyon. Um, it was, we want to do like the Redwoods and Napa. And then on the way back, like we want to do like a big U-turn on the way back to like uh, Yellowstone and um, Mount, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. You know, just kind of, so go south around Albuquerque and then come back to the Northern Pass um, over the Dakotas. But yeah. mid we have some time off in August, which was slotted for a, I was, I was going to make him go to Europe on an airliner but that's uh we're not allowed in europe right now so i, I guess we're not that. so i we're either going to try to squeeze in the west coast swing or we also want to do like a new england swing and like see all the lighthouses like maine like probably start out in nantucket and head up towards maine and and do that that's i think that might be what Hit we niagara I'll tell you what, uh, you, you, we are all based right up here outside Boston. You decide to come up anywhere near New England, you have, uh, you have someone to take and you show oh, you around yes. the entire area. We, we'd That's love to do some joint stuff with you. Yeah, we'll definitely hit you up. Yeah, it is, it is a New England is absolutely uh, uh, perfect for general aviation with islands and the tip of the Cape and all the things that are very difficult by car to get to, uh, including the, the mountains and all around, uh, but by plane. Boy, yeah, it's all it's all close, and uh, love love to join up with you guys and show you that. Yeah, I thought mid August would be great for that. Yeah, is that usually good weather wise up there? Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll have to hit it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll chat offline about that. But uh, thank you both so much for joining us here on this uh, special edition of Social Flight Live. It's uh, it's it's really wonderful. You're doing great things for general aviation, and it's so fun to watch. Uh, what you and your family are doing uh, flying around. I mean, for, so for anyone watching 310 Pilot on YouTube, uh, it's uh, thank you, you both, both Kevin and Jamie, and of course uh, uh, to your kids for giving you uh, the time to do this show as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been great. Thanks.
Absolutely. And, and to everybody, uh, to everyone out there, we'll, uh, we will be uh, back again uh, following this in a couple of weeks with regular Social Flight live programs. Be sure to check out socialflight.com for tens of thousands of aviation events and destinations, all the cool places to fly that uh, hopefully will also be visited soon by Kevin and Jamie at 310 Pilot. And thanks especially to Avidyne for making all of this possible. Until next time, I'm Jeff Simon for Social Flight. Blue skies. Thank you.